0: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? We good? It is great to have you here. I want to welcome our online audience. It is great to have you as well. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, we're kicking off a brand new series that we're calling Road Trip Radio. So we're about halfway through the summer. How many of you have taken some kind of road trip already this summer? Lots of you. Now, I don't know if you have this this battle that we might have in our family when it comes to who's going to control the music in the car for the road trip. Because depending on who's in control depends on the type of music that that comes through the speaker system of our car. Because uh, the different members of my family have very different tastes in music. We like very, very different genres. So I thought I'd start and we'd we'd have a little fun. I asked the band if they would come out and join me. And I thought we'd have a little fun. And I'll walk through each member of my family and uh, share with you maybe what would be on our playlist if we were to take a road trip. And if you recognize the song, whoever can give me the name of the song and the art of the song fastest, I got a little candy for your next road trip or for the rest of the service. You can either hear it too. That's perfectly fine. So cool. So how about let's start with, with my, my my preferences. I, I grew up, uh, my, I was a teenager in the 90s. And so I loved the alternative rock genre from the 90s. Bands like Stone Temple Pilots, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, they were kind of my go-to bands growing up in, in high school. Uh, but if I were to If I were to select a song that would be played on my road trip, on my, like, road trip playlist, it might come from my favorite band, which is this one. Beautiful Day by... Well done. I'm going to give it to this gentleman right here. I'm going to throw this. If I hit somebody in the head, my apologies. Not bad. All right, here we go. Now, if you were to move to my wife's preferences, my wife was also a teenager in the 90s, but she really preferred the R&B rap genre. Uh, I would tell you, I would encourage you, never have a rap battle with my wife. She knows every lyric of every song from the 90s. It's actually quite impressive. It really is. And and so you think about like Motown Philly, Boys to Men. Uh, You you think about California Love. These are the types of songs that, that, that my wife would choose. Now, this particular song is not my wife's favorite song. However, it's a very recognizable song from this genre in the 90s. Here it is. Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. We all got that one. You ready? This is a longer throw, more people are at risk. You ready for this? Not bad. All right, here we go. So shifting gears to my kids, you got to be a little bit more current for my kids. And so we're going to test and see, are you hip with the kids, all right? So when I asked my kids, like, what would be on your road trip playlist, they both agreed on this song. Somebody got it? It is Riptide by? Vance Joy. Has he had any other songs? I don't know. It might be a one-hit wonder, but you guys got it. I don't have a chance of throwing it that far, so somebody come and grab that. There you go. Well done. Well done. All right, how about one more? One more. This might be a little bit more recognizable of a current song. This might not be my kids. This might not be my kid's favorite song, but it is a pretty recognizable current song. So here you go. And it is? It is The Weeknd, it is Blinding Lights. All 70 million of you got it right. First one here wins the Whoppers, there you go. So there is a little road trip radio. Can you give it up for the band? Thank you guys for having a little fun with us. Have a little fun with us this morning. So you kind of think about taking a road trip, and you think about the, the various music that we might listen to, different genres, different artists, we all kind of have our favorites. As we, as we dive into this brand new series that we're calling Road Trip Radio, we're going to an ancient collection of songs. And kind of much like today, it is full of all kinds of different genres. If you look at the Psalms, it is a collection of songs written by all kinds of different artists for all kinds of different reasons. So you think about the different genres of the psalms, you'll have praise psalms celebrating God. You'll have layman songs talking about the the difficulties, sometimes the emotional challenges that we'll face. You have wisdom psalms, you have royal psalms, all kinds of of different psalms. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of take a road trip uh, through the book of songs. And we're going to look at some of these powerful song lyrics and what they teach us about God and what they teach us about our, our own journeys and how we best relate to God. So today we're going to kick it off by being in Psalm 103. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 103. If you'd like to use the Bible app, you can type it into your phone and use your handheld device, or the words will also show up on the screen. Now, as I mentioned, the book of Psalms, collection of songs written by lots of different authors, but one of the authors that probably wrote the majority of the Psalms is David, King David. Greatest King Israel ever knew. He was talked about as a man after God's own heart. And Psalm 103 did come off of the pen of David. And he wrote these powerful lyrics. We're going to start in verse 8, Psalm 103. David writes these words about God. He says, "'The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve.'" For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as, uh, as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. There's so much that, that David captured in these few stanzas of this song that he wrote that really highlight the character of our great God. God. And so if you allow me to, over the next few minutes, I just want to dive more into these song lyrics and really highlight these powerful principles about the character of God. And if we understand the truth about God, it helps us understand some truths about us as well. And so as you lean into Psalm 103 and these words of David, there's a lot that we learn about the character of God. But here's the first thing that we learn. What you find out from David is he describes God as a God who has a long fuse, Notice a God that's incredibly, incredibly patient. Again, I want to go back and read the words that we just read before. Help me out with, with these words. Follow along with the words on the screen. It, it says this. It says, the Lord is what? Compassionate. Help me out. Okay, we'll, we'll try that again. The Lord is what? And also, he's slow to get angry. He's filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. I think that's a powerful statement about God because I think that sometimes we can kind of have this picture of God that God's a little temperamental. You know, that when we mess up, when we're out of bounds, when we sin and there's consequences to our sin, sometimes we picture God as a temperamental God, the God gets angry and sometimes reactive to us. And maybe we think that about God because we've experienced that with other people. But what David writes is, God is not a temperamental God. God is not signing up for his next anger management course. God does get angry, and his anger is always righteous anger, but But long before God gets angry, God is a patient God. He's a merciful God. God is a God that's full of compassion. God doesn't just give us what we deserve. Many times God gives us what we don't deserve. Grace, mercy. And I wonder what compelled David to write these words. Now, we don't know this for sure. We don't know exactly when David penned these words. We don't know where, at what point in his life that he wrote it. Uh, You could probably argue there were a lot of different moments that that David would write words like these, but most scholars would suggest Psalm 103 was written toward the end of David's life. And if that's true, it makes much more sense. Because after David had failed and and, and had an affair with Bathsheba, after he had sent Bathsheba's husband to the front lines of battle, ensuring that he would pass away, truly David's responsible for Uriah's death. After David had made his worst mistakes in his journey— It's not surprising that he would acknowledge the merciful, compassionate nature of God not getting what he ultimately deserved. It's kind of this principle that that maybe you've experienced in your own uh, own life that, that it's not until we understand the depths of our sin and its consequences, it's only then we'll be able to fully experience the fullness of God's grace and God's mercy that God's willing to extend to us. It's almost like I picture this This courtroom scene that that we enter into and it's it's a court because of maybe the worst mistake we've ever made in life. It was the affair that we had. It was the financial dealings that went sideways. It was that disconnected relationship that, that, that really was disconnected because of the actions that we lived out in that relationship. And imagine you walk into a courtroom scene and you were on trial for the worst thing that you've ever done in your life and the prosecutor's coming at you, you don't really have a defense. You know that the judge is eventually going to reach a guilty verdict because you are guilty. And just as the judge pronounces you guilty and begins to tell you what your sentence is, voluntarily the judge takes your sentence on your behalf so that you can experience grace and mercy. That's a picture of what God has done On your behalf and on my behalf. And that's what what David is experiencing. That in a way that he didn't deserve, our God is a merciful God, a compassionate God, a God that that showed he has a long fuse. Far more patience than oftentimes we're willing to acknowledge. And far more patience than we're often willing to even extend to ourselves. Our God is a God with a long fuse. But the second piece that David acknowledges, not only does God have a long fuse, that God has a short memory. Here's what he says next. Again, Psalm 103, we're going to start at verse 11, it says this. It says, "For his unfailing love toward those who fear Him is as great as the height of the heavens above the Earth. He's removed our sins from us as far as the East is from the West." I love this word picture. It's it's possibly my most favorite word picture about the forgiveness of of God in in the entire breadth of Scripture. Because think about the the picture that that Dave is writing, that that he takes our sins, he casts them as far as the east is from the west. Now imagine a a globe. Have you ever wondered, like, why did he not say as far as the north is from the south? Well, if you picture a globe and you picture yourself going north on the globe— It's possible if you go north and you continue to go north and you eventually get to the top of the globe, if you keep going in the same direction, eventually you'll be going south. And if you go south and you you keep going south and you go south as far enough that you reach the bottom of the globe and you keep going the same direction, eventually you'll be going north. But that's not true when it comes to east and west. That if you go east and you keep going east and you never stop going east and you just continue to go in that particular direction, there's never a moment that you start going west. And if you go west and you keep going west, as far as you can possibly imagine going west, and you continue to go that direction, you will never go east. And so here's what the word picture of what Dave is describing. When God looks at our sin and God offers forgiveness of our sin, God doesn't keep a scorecard. God's not keeping records of wrongs. God's not holding grudges. What He does is He takes our sin. He casts it as far as east is from the west. What He's saying is in the terms of Buzz Lightyear is to infinity and beyond. He takes our sin. He takes it as far as humanly possible. He does not hold it against us any longer. Now, certainly we have responsibility. Bible talks about that that there's a need to confess our sins, to take responsibility for our sins, to take ownership of it, to certainly make wrongs and make amends in in, in situations that that we need to make amends. There certainly is moments that we have to confess. We have to take ownership. But when God extends forgiveness... It's infinite. It's eternal. John reminds us later in Scripture that if we confess our sins, look what God does. He is faithful. He's just. He says that He will forgive us from our sins, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is not a God who holds grudges, He's not a keeping a scorecard. He's a God with a short memory. Now, sometimes that's hard for us to embrace because that's not true in relationships around us. Because all of us have stories of people who have held grudges, who have kept the scorecard, who have held whatever it was against us, and we find ourselves still shackled by our past, even though God has set us free. And sometimes it's not that somebody else hasn't set us free. Sometimes we haven't set ourselves free. And here's the truth. If you don't let your past die, your past won't let you live. Reminds me of a a story about a guy by the name of Gary Richardson. He walks into this room at the Los Angeles Zoo many, many years ago, and he sees these red-tailed hawks caged up in this room. And what he knew is they were caught up in some sort of defunct uh, poaching case, and likely it was going to be caught up in litigation for quite some time, and these red tail hawks would continue to be caged until the litigation was fully processed. And he just couldn't stand it because he thought, man, these birds, they were not meant to be in cages. These birds were meant to fly. These birds were meant to soar. And so he kind of looked around over both of his shoulders, and so he decided he would accidentally open up the garage in this room that he was in. And he would accidentally kind of open the cage where these red-tailed hawks were being held, and he would accidentally shoo these hawks out so they could do what they were created to do, that they could, they could once again fly. And so after doing all of these things and opening up these cages and shooing them the best he could, he watched these hawks take a couple steps out of the cages, never really flap their wings, and eventually return back to the cage even though the door was open it was almost though they had grown so accustomed to confinement that they didn't know what to do with the freedom i find so many people in life that i interact with that that is the description with how life is being lived that again, once we take ownership of whatever it is that we've done, and that once we begin to make amends and we seek out forgiveness from God, just so you know, that every time we seek that out from God, God always answers that with a yes. God is the God of a second chance, a new hope, a new beginning. God's the one who's opening the garage, He's opening the door to the cage, He's trying to shoo us out just so that we can experience freedom. But sometimes we trade purpose for a cage. Sometimes we trade bravery for boredom. Sometimes we trade freedom for a confinement because it's just what we know. My Friends, God didn't create you for confinement. God created you to fly, to be free, to experience the freedom that comes from him. God has a short memory. And so, so too often we want to identify ourselves by the worst mistake we've ever made, or we allow other people to define us by the worst mistake we've ever made. You are not defined by the worst thing you've ever done. You're defined by the best thing he's done on our behalf. That's where your identity truly lies. And if you find yourself still confined, I want you to know, maybe it's the reason that God brought you here today. You were meant to be free. Lean into a God who will give you the freedom for a second chance, a new opportunity, a new beginning. Sometimes we need to let our past die so that we can now truly live. Our God is a God who's got a, he's got a long fuse. He's got a, he's got a short memory. I think what you also discover in Psalm 103, He's a God with a Father's heart. Uh, look at the last verse that we read together it says this it says the Lord is like a what Help me out of that. the Lord is like a He's like a father to his children tender and compassionate to those who fear him I mean I love the statement the Lord is like a father it's, it's a statement about God's unconditional love for us and don't just allow those words to be words that sound familiar that God's love is unconditional but those are hard words for me to really wrap my head around. Because the truth is, more often than I would like to admit, my life tends to be, or my love tends to be pretty conditional. I mean, for example, a few weeks ago, I was, in, I was coming back from the city. And I was driving on the interstate, and I ran into some construction. I know that's hard to imagine construction on the interstate in Chicago Chicagoland area. But, but I ran into some construction. I needed to exit the freeway— And because there was some construction, traffic had backed up probably about a quarter mile. And so it was a one-lane exit. And so unfortunately, I had to get into that right lane. And I had to wait for probably five to seven minutes in traffic, bumper to bumper, to get all the way to the exit. And just as I was about to exit, I was so kind. I was so patient. I wasn't even on, on the verge of road rage. I was fine. But as soon as I got to the exit, this person pulls up right next to me. He had avoided the whole five to seven minutes that I just did. And he flips on his blinker and is asking me to come out, you know, to, to let him in. And so I did the most pastorally thing I knew to do. I moved up as close as I possibly could to the car in front of me. And I avoided eye contact as though I didn't really see him. Because deep down, I'm thinking to myself, not on my watch, Chachi, this is not going to happen, right? Now, why do I do that? I do that because my love tends to be pretty conditional. If you're kind to me, if you're good to me, I have no problems loving you. But if I feel like you're mistreating me or feel like you're trying to pull one over on me, my love sometimes can be pretty conditional. But there's a few people in my life that my love is truly unconditional. And I think that I never discovered what unconditional love looked like until my wedding day and the two days that my kids were born. I mean, I remember those moments when I held my boys in my hand for the first time, and I experienced a love that I didn't know I had the capacity to love. And what's true about when I became a father is I discovered this unconditional love. You know why I love my kids? Because they're my kids. They don't have to accomplish anything. They don't have to do anything. My love's not contingent on their behavior, though I prefer better behavior, right? Right? But my love's not tied to that, that I love them regardless. There is nothing my kids could ever do that would make me love them less. And there's nothing that they could ever do that would make me love them more. I love them because they're my kids. Here's the truth. You know why God loves you? Because you're his kid. There is nothing that you could ever do that you could earn, that you could achieve, that your success would give you, that would cause God to love you more than He already loves you. You know why He loves you? It has nothing to do with who you are or what you've done. It has everything to do with who He is and what He's already done for you. His love is unconditional. God has a Father's heart for His kids. It kind of reminds me of a a number of years ago. Uh, We've got the the Summer Olympics are coming up in a couple weeks. I love the Olympics. And I remember a couple years ago, last time the Olympics were being held, uh, we were watching a little bit of the Olympics as a family. My wife loves gymnastics, and so we were taking in some gymnastics. And I don't know if you remember this, but there was one gymnast. They kept showing not only the gymnast's performance, they were showing the reaction of her, her parents in the crowd. Because it was like they were with her every single move she made It You can see it in their facial expressions, in their body language, every tumbling routine. They were doing the tumbling routine with them. It was awesome. It was priceless. But it's kind of one of those moments that you recognize as a parent, when your kid has a need, when they're struggling, when they're in a heavy pressure moment, what do you do if you're a good parent? You're just right there with them. That's what the heart of a father, that's what a heart of a good parent does. You're just simply present. And it reminds me of my favorite father moment in the Olympics. It was 1992. Uh, There there, there was a guy that was running for the UK, Derek Redman. He was a sprinter. He, He ran the 400 meters. He was the favorite to win that race. He had made it to the final, and I don't know if you remember this. He came out of the the gates very, very quickly. He was running an amazing race, and about halfway through the race, something popped in his leg, and he fell to the track. He was in excruciating pain. Now, obviously, he'd already lost the race. But what you saw in the next moments is the grit and determination of this, this man as he stands to his feet. He could put no pressure on one of his legs, and he begins to hop his way toward the finish line, just committed to figure out how to finish. And then in a way that nobody could have scripted, his father, who was in attendance to cheer his son on, stepped out of the grandstands, fought through security, went to his son, threw his son's arm over his shoulder, and began to help his son toward the finish line. It was this beautiful picture of the heart of a father. To the moment your kid has a need, that's what a good father does— a good father runs and is present. And what David reminds us is no matter what we've done, whether it was years ago or months ago or last night, God has an unconditional love for his kids. And God is always willing to step out of the grandstands of heaven. God is always willing to be present with his kids in our greatest need. God's love is Unconditional. Uh, Just this last week, I had the opportunity to spend a little additional time with my oldest son. Uh, I had the chance for my very first time to go to a very special place that Willow owns, a place called Camp Paradise. Anybody ever been to Camp Paradise? Unbelievable place. Uh, when When I first stepped on the Willow team, I heard a lot about Camp Paradise. People would tell me, they would say, Sean, it is holy, sacred ground. You know, we went to Camp Paradise. It is holy, sacred ground. We had an amazing, amazing time. Uh, it's amazing for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons that the that, that Camp Paradise is so special is they create these dad camps. And really it's designed to create an environment that you can grow in your own heart as a dad for your kid. And it's special because you go to the middle of nowhere, and when I mean the middle of nowhere, you literally go to the middle of nowhere and turn right. It is in like the boonies of, 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 of the UP of Michigan. And so we made the long track there, and you get there, and, and we left all of our technology in our car on one side of the river. You cross the river into camp, and you're in a distraction-free environment where it's just you one-on-one with your son or one-on-one with your daughter if you have one, and just the opportunity to spend uninterrupted time with your kid. I didn't know I was going to get choked up about this. Sorry. I would tell you this is probably the single most significant time I've ever been able to spend a on with my son. Just being together, doing all kinds of crazy fun stuff together, just allowing our hearts to grow and even come together it was a super special time. Uh, brought one picture. There was a, a, a rock climbing uh, experience that they do, and there's these telephone poles that, that, that you climb. And so that's Levi and I on the top of this telephone pole. Uh, there's like this this ledge that's on the top of these telephone poles. They were like 937 feet in the air. Probably like 30 or 40 feet in the air, but it felt like 937 feet to me. And so we were way up there just experiencing just just time together, Father and Son. My I don't know that I knew that my love for him could could grow, but it feels like with every moment it just it just continues to grow. And so I want to say thanks to I want to say thanks to the leadership and the countless numbers of volunteers who carved a camp out of nowhere and created this holy, sacred place where dads' hearts can be cultivated for their kids. I would be amiss to not highlight a couple of very special people. Uh, Tim and Aaron Vanderbos have Vanderbos have really been the ones who have been tapped on the shoulder leading Camp Paradise for the past 40-some-odd years. <clears throat> Brought a couple of pictures of, of Tim and Aaron. This is them closing out a camp season in 1983. And uh, this, is, this is Tim and, and Aaron today after faithfully serving the Lord for over 40 years as directors of, of Camp Paradise. Now, I reached out to Tim a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, Tim, is it okay if I, like, honor you in the service? And he was super hesitant about it. He goes, you don't honor me. You don't give me any glory. Every good thing that God has done at Camp Paradise, it is God's glory, not mine. And so I really want to honor Tim in that way, that, that every, every direction that we point, I do want to point it to God. God has done a remarkable work through hundreds, if not thousands of volunteers. He's done a great work in the hearts of dads as as, as they connect with their kids. But I also acknowledge that God does sometimes His greatest work through fallible people like you and me. And for whatever reason, God chose to tap Tim and Aaron on the shoulder some 40-plus years ago. And what I'm grateful for is that they said yes. And their faithfulness over 40-plus years... God has transformed hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of lives. And so that Tim and Aaron don't want the glory, they don't want to praise, can we honor God's work through them? Tim and Aaron have officially retired as directors from the Camp Paradise staff, and and their son, Curtis, and his wife, Susan, are now, are now kind of bringing it all full circle and now leading the charge at Camp Paradise and doing a remarkable, remarkable job. So a couple things around that. I didn't mean to even give this commercial, but I'm going to because I got the microphone. Just kidding. Uh, if you're a dad in this space and you've got a kid between the ages of 9 and 13, there are spots actually available this summer because we've opened it up, you know, with loosened COVID protocols, there's allowing more kids in, don't miss the opportunity. It will transform your relationship with your kid. <laughs> Sign up, like do it. You will not regret it, I promise. Uh, if you ever have the opportunity to go and to volunteer and serve, man, go and do it. It, it, is, it is truly, truly life-changing. But I learned a lot just about the heart of a father, which helps me understand the heart of our Heavenly Father. Again, David reminds us about who God is. God's a God with a long fuse. He's a God with a short memory. He's a God with a father's heart. That if you don't let your past die, it won't let you live. But there's a God who wants you to live. As I just want you to know, you will never outsend the great of, grace of God. You will never outsend the love of our great God. That the price He paid is greater than the mess you've made. Your life is not characterized by your greatest mistake. Your life is identified by His greatest sacrifice. And if you've never surrendered your life to Him, there's never been a better moment than right now to give your life to the tender hearted, compassionate, grace filled God who's got a long fuse and a short memory and an unconditional loving heart for you. I'm just going to say a simple prayer. If you want to yield your life to this God, if you want to give your life to Him for the first time or the 10,000th time, I'm just going to pray a prayer, and if you'd like to pray it alongside of me, I would invite you to do so. Now, God, we come before you and we say thanks that the words that King David penned thousands of years ago could be the very song lyrics that change our life today. God, give us a clear picture of who you are. You're not a temperamental God. It's true you get angry, it's always a righteous anger. But God, we're grateful for your patience, your kindness, your mercy, your compassion. God, we yield to you in that. God, we're so grateful that you're a God that doesn't keep score, that doesn't hold grudges, that allows us to truly experience the freedom that Jesus came for us to experience. God, would you give us the courage to step into that freedom? Father we're thankful for your heart that whenever there's a need whenever there's a pressure filled moment whenever we've made a mess God you're always a God who's willing to step into it with us to put our arm over your shoulder and continue to walk toward the finish line Father we love you We say thank you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.